Hello, I'm Harry. Hello, I'm Rory, and this is Games on Film. Welcome to Games on Film, the podcast that celebrates video game movies, but it seems increasingly we're doing Netflix shows based on video games about estranged sisters. We're doing Resident Evil. Uh, I watched the subtitles. It was frequently Resident Evil Trilling. They used to, did you watch the subtitles? Um, on and off. Since Stranger Fl- Things, not Stranger Flings, we've all had a Stranger Fling one time or another, um... Apparently the subtitlers of Netflix shows are superstars now and they do things like squelch your footsteps and, and make, you know, if you're finding a show boring and a bit irritating, then there's something to watch out for. Not saying it about this show, or am I? We'll find out. <laughs> I think my favourite is Chittering. Lots it, yeah. of monsters chittering. I think when watching um, Dead End Paranormal Park, another Netflix show from our brother, Hamish Steele, do watch it. Um, I think when there's some monsters you hear, you see in the subtitles chittering and yeah, that's kind of what monsters do. I watched this sort of with subtitles on and off, mainly because it was quite hot. I had the fan on (laughs) and a lot of people sucked their teeth and it's the sort of thing you just don't notice when watching a film, but it was certainly, uh, one character in particular, she sucked her teeth a lot doing her big evil <laughs> speeches. <laughs> but anyway, we digress. Here we are. Yeah, we're in our, our familiar territory again. We're back with Resident Evil. Uh, yet another interpretation. And yes, not even the first Netflix series version of Resident Evil, because we did cover Resident Evil Infinite Darkness, which was the animated four-part limited offering. I think we did that last year. All I can remember about that is... Panam Stan, Panam Stan, <laughs> Panam Stan. But um, that was maybe a kind of more straightforward, not so much adaptation, but that was very much in the vein of the animated feature film offerings, which I suppose are considered canon or at least part of the Resident Evil main game series and, and sort of heavily endorsed and involved with um, with Capcom's blessing, I believe. And we haven't actually covered any of those feature films yet because they just keep on making new Resident Evil stuff, such as, you know, Welcome to Raccoon City at the end of last year, which I actually very much enjoyed, despite um, the fans not so much, or the critics. Um, and now we have this new version, which, um, again, has maybe received even less kind feedback in general. I've seen some very positive, or at least, you know, three stars and up reviews from critics for it. But <laughs> Gosh, the heady heights of three stars. But the overall consensus and the Rotten Tomato scores and particularly audience feedback, there's articles saying worst rated Netflix series ever, etc. Um, is that too unkind? Well, we'll get into our thoughts about it, but I think... Certainly at time of announcement, 
Um, and when the uh, overview and plot of the series was first released, there was certainly a lot of raised eyebrows. Well, I think we were also a bit perplexed when they released a teaser for the TV show, I think the week of the new movie coming out, and then the TV show teaser got swiftly removed. So there seemed to be a bit of a disorganisation in the whole... uh, I was going to say Capcom front, but whoever's producing the Resident Evil IP, it just sort of reminds me of the same fuck-ups uh, Umbrella does on a, on a like, <laughs> bi-monthly basis. You know? I mean, that's the thing. This is Constantine film who they produced the uh, Paul W.S. Anderson, uh, what do you call it, Hetzology? Mm-hmm. I guess the Sits movie, so we'll call it Hetzology. Um, they also produced the um, Welcome to Raccoon City film, and they also produced this TV production. So, you know, anything live action Resident Evil, they've usually got um, their hands all over it. So they're to blame for, you know, canon (laughs) continuity, whatever. I don't know. You you say to blame. Whenever their their name comes up before a Resident Evil product, it does feel like I'm like a, a masochist and like the mistress has arrived of their whips. Like I'm here <laughs> to give you some resident evil. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, was, we've done a bit of research, but there's not much to go on regarding the making of the show. Um, the, the writer slash showrunner is a chap called, I'm going to say Andrew Dab. And I had a quick look at his repertoire of stuff and, he seems to have done a lot of comics and wrote on the TV show Supernatural. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is his first, I think this is his biggest uh, job, <laughs> uh, certainly a high profile job. But um, he, he says he is a massive Resident Evil fan and mm-hmm. um, I've, I've watched some interviews with him as well. And I think looking... Uh, as we go into the show, I was surprised at the amount of connections because certainly, I think my first interaction with a show it was announced. It was, it was quite. It was, I think it was one of the the most what the fuck type announcements I've ever heard, which was so. This Resident Evil show is about Wesker's kids, the Wesker kids, and mm. like it's Wesker and kids go go to wrecking, and I'm like, what the what the? I'm like, I don't like to dismiss things out of hand. But I guess it's only human to think, you know, we're, we, we, I mean, what do Resident Evil fans want? They just want a one for one remake of the games, don't they? And they, this seems as far away. This seems like net, you know, Resident Evil babies, you know, like Muppet babies. Yeah. So that was think... definitely, yeah, a, a concern. And the thing is, is that, you know, uh, to the sort of credit of the creators, you know, that was, I mean, well, that was probably like a bad move to kind of put it in those terms. But, you know, the Resident Evil series of games, it has been pretty kind of flexible with consistency and quite random and strange and, you know, pulling out all kinds of like very silly concepts. You know, you have this idea that, oh, it's about zombies in a mansion and it's like creepy and scary. But like as the games go on, and I think, bled into DNA with the Paul W. Sanderson movies, like they do get super ridiculous. So it it's it's it doesn't seem like the Resident Evil you know, but as the later games go on, you do meet Wesker's son and Wesker's sister. And this whole like idea of a Wesker family, you know, 
um, of evil geniuses or whatever you want to call it, um, is in the kind of games to an extent in, in later iterations. And I think the kind of obsession with Wesker is a very odd one. And I think we talked about this in our 2022 preview episode, particularly with regards to the casting of uh, Lance Reddick as Albert Wesker um, and how that was also met with a lot of raised eyebrows by people without well, imaginations. I was going to say not by us, not yeah. because we're super <laughs> smart, but we're also like we're massive Lance Reddick fanboys, I think. And I'm actually looking forward to getting to talk about him for this episode because I, I don't know how much of a chance we're going to get to speak about him. Um, I mean... I, I don't know when we're going to have to have this conversation, but I just feel I just get really exhausted now about the discourse about almost everything, like every single fandom, like Resident Evil as a concept has been going around since 1998. And as you've pointed out, there's so much stuff now in Resident Evil. Mm. And I made a bit of a joke about it earlier about what do fans want? They want a one-to-one recreation of the games i mean and it's the same with star trek and the same with like most fandoms like people just only seem to want their franchises to be one thing from like a certain time where maybe i mean they just seem to forget everything else like i'm watching star trek strange new worlds at the moment which is hella goofy and people are like how dare you make star trek goofy and i'm like Dude, have you seen any Star Trek? <laughs> Is the, I oh my god, I'm just trying to think. You know, I watched Spock's brain recently. It's like got McCoy controlling Spock with a remote control, and Spock is like, where is brain? And it's just like, and I'm loving it. It's got a real Batman 66 vibe. And we've talked about this in other, you know, even with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles episode that we did, is that it's Resident Evil has been going on so long now, there is a Resident Evil for you know, there's a different flavor of Resident Evil mm. for anyone. And just because you like Resident Evil doesn't mean you have to like every single Resident Evil thing that exists because there's good stuff, there's bad stuff, there's in-between stuff. And it will kind of like cater to different sort of tastes or vibes depending on, on the time. And I think, you know, like the kind of Star Wars prequels and their reassessment, you know, I think all the people, including maybe myself, who were down on the very first Resident Evil Paul W.S. Anderson movie, you know, will get and has been sort of reappraised. And these things will be reappraised once people kind of get over themselves and grow up a bit, you know. It doesn't mean they have to like them, but they can, you know, maybe just sort of say, okay, I can see what it was trying to do. Maybe it's not my idea of it, but I don't have to then, like, lambast it and hate on it so vehemently because it wasn't delivering exactly what I demand. But, I mean, what I'm trying to get at is, like, you're talking about entry points to Resident Evil. Like, the very first game, I mean, I remember it being genuinely terrifying, you know, for the time, um, but it was so goofy as well. And I'm just trying mm. to think, has there ever been a time where there hasn't been some inherent sort of camp to Resident Evil and like i've not played um the seven and village i get the impression that it's not completely po-faced but am i wrong on that no i mean, you're right there's definitely i think regardless of what's happening and i think they do play into sort of emotion and melodrama and you know both those games do try and be 
very scary as well. But there is also, like, I think particularly with Resident Evil uh, 7, there is uh, a very sort of, like, knowing, uh, kind of darkly comic streak in terms of, like, a lot of crazy stuff is happening and the main character is like, this is really crazy kind of sort of stuff. I mean, one of the DLCs for Resident Evil 7 has you basically um, with super-powered fists, like, punching through all the bad guys and sort of <laughs> destroying them with your with your mega fists. Um, and I think, like, Resident Evil 8 as well really plays, like, a very kind of ripe, quite camp, almost, like, haunted theme park and that you go to, like, different areas of this village and they've got, like, a different horror vibe. Like, one's, like, Creepy Doll's House, one's Gothic Castle, one's, like industrial nightmare so it's it's uh, you know the makers of the game they want to entertain first mm. and foremost and you know they'll do that by using horror tropes um and doing it in quite sort of like excessive ways you know and so i just wonder when people are playing these resi games and then maybe complaining about maybe some of the humor in this show i'm not going to say how i feel about it yet but i mean it seems that people seem to severely pick and choose what to criticize in all these things I like. And I just yeah. get really exhausted about it. I mean, it seems sort of a little, I mean, we've just had Comic-Con and this is sort of, I don't know, this feels of part of it, but there was like, I saw like a, a internet discourse and in three parts and three parts. Uh, picture one was a rumor that Henry Cavill was going to show up to talk about the next Superman movie. And then the next picture was like, like Henry Cavill does not show up to talk about a new Superman movie. And then picture three was fans outraged that Henry Cavill didn't show up. It's yeah. like, that was, there was never any promises was going to happen. And so it feels with this, like, as, as you said earlier, it just feels people aren't willing to embrace like an open, they're just not, they're not willing to have any sort of texture or flavor. It has to be one thing only. And I've, I've seen kind of like stills and video clips from the show being sort of shared around. And one person posting it will be like, this is the dumbest thing ever. This is not Resident Evil. And my interpretation of the exact same clip will be like, this is the best thing ever. This is exactly what I want from Resident Evil. So it's it's like, you know, one person's like, this is an outrage. There's another person's like, this is actually like the greatest thing ever. And I think, you know, just like cynicism has is sort of destroying uh, entertainment. It's just a bit exhausting that we can't just have a bit of nuance in the discourse. And this is us. This is our podcast. <laughs> is nuance our in the discourse. Nuance, nuance in the That's discourse. That's a new slogan. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, this conversation was kicked off by the casting of Lance Reddick, and I, I just don't really want to talk about really how some quarters of the online discourse were talking about. Oh, it's woke. This is woke. That, and you know, color blind casting. I think we said in our twenty twenty two preview, like he's got the manner of a Wesker. So that was the thing. That was the, my little finger hold when I was approaching this show. It's like, well, I get to spend hopefully about eight hours with Lance Reddick being a badass. 
and but, him uh, like not being concerned about you spending eight hours in his company because he's in a TV show. Yeah. Restraining orders mean nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Can't restrain me from watching the shows I like. Yeah. Or don't like. Introducing Joy. <laughs> joy, joy, joy. Joy can be a miracle pill. An antidepressant that cures OCD, lowers anxiety, and increases focus. But the drug contains the T-virus. And the T-virus can make monsters. I've got the kind of like official log line from the show, which doesn't really cover everything. And we, we've talked previously about how um, how we're not always going to do like television shows because it takes a long time and whatever. But, you know, as a Resident Evil fan, I was always going to watch this. So it made sense for us to cover this particular episode, uh, this particular series. So eight episodes of uh, the show ostensibly the first season um appeared on Netflix on the 14th of July. And the official summary says, year 2036, 14 years after a deadly virus caused a global apocalypse, Jade Wesker fights for survival in a world overrun by the bloodthirsty infected and insane creatures. In this absolute carnage, Jade is haunted by her past in New Raccoon City, by her father's chilling connections to the Umbrella Corporation, but mostly by what happened to her sister, Billy. Mm. <laughs> I feel like I should also just quickly apologize for the sound of my voice because I am currently recovering from COVID, which does from get name checked. Virus. Yeah, it does get name checked in the show. Um, yeah. Given that it's set in 2022, so it's it's I, contemporary. I mean, it literally blew my socks off. It's like, whoa, too soon. <laughs> Yeah. Or just right. I don't know. Um, but but the, yeah. the show takes place um, in two timelines. And I think that's sort of as we sort of discuss the show in sort of deeper detail, we'll probably be doing it in a kind of chronological fashion because each episode, most episodes, goes sort of back and forth between 2022 and 2036 fairly regularly. So flitting back and forth between them may make sense for an edited TV show and you're seeing the imagery on screen, but for talking about it, it's a nightmare. So um, we'll probably <laughs> sort of divide the conversation uh, into two chunks, the, the 2022 present day stuff with um, teenage Jade and Billy with their father, Albert Wesker, moving to New Raccoon City. And then 2036, after all the apocalypse stuff has happened with the world run overrun by what they affectionately call zeros. So not sort of technically zombies. Why, why did in they a way. do that? They sort of talk about, um, they say how they're not dead, but infected. And okay. I think it's maybe a sort of a, a reason to, yeah, make it so that I, um, I imagine they the can scene... be chased by zombies running around, you know, I imagine a scene 28 days in... later. 
a scene in Walking Dead where like someone like says, "Is there anything down there?" No, just some walkers. Okay, and then like, ah, zombies. <laughs> it's like I thought what? we were talking about hiking. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> ramblers. I don't know the ramblers. They're not going on the public footpath. Hiding from ramblers in like uh, a mountain climbing shop. I don't know. Why, I'm yeah. trying to think of a brand name. Mountain Warehouse is what I'm trying to think of. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, I, you know, I, I left it aside. I think realistically, if zombies happened, you would eventually give them another name. I like to think. We'll test that theory when it happens. To distinguish between the actual zombies and not just bloodthirsty yeah. T-virus infected monsters. Hmm. Yeah, so what did you think? <laughs> okay, did you think so well, this new Resident Evil show, uh, the latest offering from the Resident Evil kitchen. Okay, so like I said, I I did re- I did very much like Ra- Welcome to Raccoon City, um, and this, um, you know, as we explained, Welcome to Raccoon City was a, a very close approximation even if not a straightforward adaptation of the first two games, essentially, and their remakes. This does tie into the games more, perhaps, than I was expecting from the initial synopsis. In a way, this is kind of set post the um, the bulk of the game's activity. And in, in some respects, I would actually sort of say, while this isn't like an adaptation of the games themselves this feels some way like a kind of spin-off story it feels like one of the resident evil revelations games um for instance resident evil revelations 2 as i mentioned the i think main baddie is like wesker's sister um you play in parts of the game as barry burton's daughter um does she have a beard she doesn't have a beard but she is like a cool teenager um so that sort of like feeds into the sort of vibe of this so you know i i think there are um while i guess a lot of the 2022 stuff is very heavily teen high school drama but with added slightly sci-fi horror conspiracy thriller you know coating um I think there is, you know, a little bit more shared DNA with the games than perhaps the initial, even the trailers sort of let on apart from, you know, oh, here's a monster from the games, here's a reference, here's an Easter egg, but actually like fully, you know, follows the threads established by the games in ways that I I wasn't sort of expecting. So that aside, just to put it into terms of the context and my approach to it, I had a good time with this TV show. Um, Maybe my expectations were a little bit lowered, but I think apart from the sort of the teen drama stuff is, is fine, but it's just, there's a lot of it. And in a way it feels a bit sort of fillery. It does mean in that context, we do get a lot more Lance Reddit to play with um, in, you know, that part of the, of the show's chronology. So that sort of offsets maybe some of the um, rather rote, oh, what's dad really up to kind of stuff that uh, Jade and Billy are are dealing with, as well as, you know, bullies and, you know, they're changing bodies. Um, (laughs) um, So, you know, that stuff's maybe, you know, 
a little bit plodding, but I, I, I had fun. You know, I think this show is scary. I think it is like really gory. It might be sort of like the bloodiest sort of Resident Evil adaptation um, that we've seen in terms of like just the gore and the monsters and, and that sort of stuff. Um, and I think there's like enough quirks and enough like interesting, fun, entertaining characters, enough sort of pretty wild set pieces. Like each episode usually has like a pretty good set piece. Um, and also, yeah, just, um, quite a lot of like good, not so much like sort of twists and stuff, but, um, I think like one review from the Guardian was basically just like, this is like a cliffhanger, a show of just like cliffhangers, but they're kind of like good fun stuff. You want to know what happens next because, you know, here's a big monster or umbrellas on, you know, the trail of our heroes or, you know, some other kind of like wild revelation at the end of an episode that you kind of want to watch the next one. So there are some general misgivings with this kind of thing, but on the whole, yeah, it was like a kind of cool, weird, funky, bloody, nasty, occasionally creepy, scary, um, thrill ride. <laughs> um, you know, just, you know, like an entertaining eight hours and, and not so, you know, like I've watched most of The Walking Dead and I gave up after, you know, I haven't watched like the past of three seasons. And, you know, maybe I haven't seen like Zed Nation or, you know, I think there's like other kind of zombie TV shows out there. So I don't know what the lay of the land is and in terms of that. But, um, yeah, I had like a, a, a sort of fun time with uh, this Resident Evil show. Yeah, I do wonder if you're, if one's feelings about the show would be affected if you've like watched a lot of other zombie stuff but uh, i think the only things i've watched in any serious way was walking dead for a while but i think i've mentioned before i was a big fan of the comics so i just kept seeing them do the comics a bit crappily mm. <laughs> um and i watched uh, the, the south korean show uh, the kingdom I think I've watched the first season. I've yet to do the second. That was really good. And even though both these shows are quite deadly serious, um, doesn't mean that you can't have fun with them. I mean, I'm sure there's, I think I remember a sequence in The Walking Dead where like zombies were falling through the ceiling. And, you know, there's always like a gross bit. But this Resident Evil show was so much fun. And really, it just... I think you might have got a hint of this earlier when I was kind of complaining about the negative reaction. Like, it's goofy, mm. and I love goofy stuff. It's, and you know, but I think it's deliberately goofy. And, like, you know, I was just thinking back to the whole Jill Sandwich comment in the, in the video game. And, you know, I sometimes wonder if the original Japanese Resident Evil game, I mean, they're all Japanese, what I'm talking about, but I think those original games, they have goofy dialogue, and I don't know if the writers knew how goofy it sounded when it was spoken by, like, an English speaker, or... I don't know. I just... But, but, but... I just think, for the first time ever, this was a Resident Evil, like, live-action... <laughs> not that there's been that many, but a, a, a spin-off media product which lent into how daft it was and i was here for it and i just get really annoyed when i see like 
comments saying things i don't read the commentary (laughs) (laughs) but people were saying who is this for like the you know the tone is all over the place like well i guess i like that stuff i don't want i I get really yeah I, i just like to have a bit of variety and yeah i really enjoyed the gore um the two timelines i guess I think it ultimately worked. I really actually kind of often quite resistant for a show having like two timelines for no reason. And and kind of as things stand in the show, without going into spoilers, there doesn't seem to be a reason beyond like the mystery contained in one timeline is then solved by a revelation in the other timeline. (laughs) You know, people have a conversation towards the end of a show that they could have easily have to have, they could have had at the start because it's not a surprise to anyone except the audience. I think it's there. I I think there's like a, I think the reason is like partially budgetary because it's, it's like hard Uh enough to do like a fully apocalyptic loads of monsters TV show. Um, And so I think sort of like having sort of half ostensibly of the show in that realm and half of it in still like a kind of, you know, decent sized budget because of like the sets and the look and the kind of design of new Raccoon City, etc. You know, it still feels like high production value in, in, in that respect too. Um, so I think partially it's that. And also just like variety, you get, you know, the mystery thriller, which, you know, we know Umbrella's bad and stuff. So it's not too much of a, of a revelation what's happening, etc. But mm. it's still kind of like, fun like teasing those little bits out as well as having the reference references to the games and sort of seeing what this version of umbrellas kind of deal is um versus again just like zombie apocalypse stuff which you know as with the walking dead or whatever can be like a bit of a drag (laughs) you know sort of spun out well yeah my uh... I mean, I don't want to imply that I didn't appreciate mm. the twin timelines. Like I said, I don't see, I don't necessarily see the point. But like every time, like I felt ever so slightly tapped out with one story thread, mm. with one timeline, the new timeline would appear. And yeah, you know, so I actually thought, and I'm not quite sure why we're doing this, but I am with it. I'm enjoying it. And um, I mean, I think the proof is in the pudding. If they decided to go completely chronological and just do like all the uh, 2022 stuff in the first half of the show and then all the 2036 stuff in the second half of the show, I don't think no. I'd be so interested, you know? I've, I've got, I appreciated the the shifts. And uh, um, just on that point, like which one I found more entertaining, I'm looking through my notes here. Like I think in episode two, I'm, I'm thinking I'm writing, oh, I really enjoy the past section like aka 2022 stuff more than the 2036 stuff if i think mm. that flipped so i think it's just really dependent on what's going on yeah. in the story i think in the middle but... there's like one episode which is very heavily 2022 apart from maybe like the start and finish and then the next episode is very heavily yes. 2036 apart from the start and finish so you know i think most of the time it is it is fairly even-handed apart from you know one episode either there which you know works because you want to let some of that stuff settle so you do have a bit of character development in that timeline or you do have a bit of exposition that needs to sort of play out consecutively without sort of just flipping the switch back and forth between the two um, 
So I think like the pacing and the structure was actually pretty well handled throughout. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I know whenever you've got teenagers in like, front and center, people are going to say, oh, it's like a young adult show. And, you know, there's no escaping that they're in a high school. But I don't know, like I found the world of New Raccoon City really eerie. It reminded me of that film Vivarium. Have mm. you seen that? I haven't, Eisenberg? but I know about it. It's, it's basically suburban. Imagine living in a new build suburban estate and you can't escape. And that's kind of how it felt like. And, you know, I was intrigued. And, you know, again, I don't want to go into deep, deep spoilers at all. But like one of my earliest notes is like, okay, we love Lance Reddick. But why is this guy called Wester, Wesker? Like, he seemed nothing like Wesker. Um, and things become a bit more clear. And my interest increased as the show, as basically um, Andrew, what's his name again? Andrew's, Andrew Dab, you know, his fandom starts to become more apparent. So, and I think it's bold in this kind of like streaming environment to like not be upfront with all the answers right from the start. Yeah. I think so many people could have very easily like, checked out after the first episode i think the first episode is is pretty strong but mm. if you're there for resident evil it's like all your worst kind of like nightmares come true in the sense like this isn't my resident evil this isn't my western yeah. and all this kind of stuff and it's like you know stick with it yeah i do i have had to think about how quickly i would have watched it if I didn't have this podcast deadline, I, th I think if I'd made it to like the third episode, I can't even remember what happens. But as I said, I just think, no, I think I know. I tell you what, like, you know, by the third episode, you, you have, you've had a few of those set pieces you're talking about mm. and they're really decent, true blue Resident Evil inspired set pieces. And so I'm like, okay, okay they'll i better keep watching because it seems like they're doing this pretty regularly and uh yeah i wasn't disappointed mm. so i guess what we're saying well i'll say what i'm saying and you can you can agree with me or not if you've not watched the show yet um i would say ignore the haters watch you know, start start it you might be surprised and especially watch it if like if you just got an open mind, <laughs> sounds really <laughs> damning of faint praise. I don't know. I just say I just feel like if you if you can take more than one tone, and if you don't have to be like, oh, you know what I was thinking of? I was I was thinking about how if I was a teenager when Twitter was around, or if, if Twitter was around when I was a teenager, I would probably be writing all this bullshit online because <laughs> yeah. I think it just you kind of forget how people online they can be like fifteen and up or. You know, even younger than that and you know it used to be you just listen to loud music and saying fuck the world from your bedroom and now people just like to congregate and rag on something which is in any way sort of a bit different or they get dressed up in suits and go and see the minions movie which uh, <laughs> is something i observed in my local cinema gentle minions i what does the world coming to but anyway would you agree with my assessment or have you got anything to add yeah, I, I'd say um, what, what I take the issue is I've seen some reviews sort of say like this is like teen friendly. And I think just because there's teenagers doesn't mean it's like teen friendly. I mean, it really depends on the mm. teen. I mean, some people are saying it's like Resident Evil via 
CW or, or, you know, those kind of shows. And I think like, I don't know if those kind of shows have like chain, you know, heads being cut off with chainsaws or like people being ripped in two by like giant spiders. I think, I think I've it's not like... seen Riverdale, but I've heard it's pretty wild. I, yeah. So... I, I think that I, I get what they're talking about. And I, you know, like, Sabrina the Teenage Witch you know it has its its fair share of I guess that kind of stuff but you know this show is pretty brutal and I I think it is but I you know having said that I think there's still a lot to in, enjoy and I yeah it is it, it what's the what's like Richard E. Grant that thing when he got nominated it's like I I, I gasped I laughed I I chanted I through my hands up in the air you know it's like there's stuff in the show which made me um made me do that and it, i mean i just yeah. wrote here i was smiling the whole time and i think i i like i didn't watch this all in one go i'm not insane but i remember <laughs> no you watched all six resident evil movies in one go <laughs> i did do that in one day but you know i remember sort of um dashing home to because I couldn't wait to watch the next episode. <laughs> I, had, I had to go out and do some errands when I was dashing. I was like, oh, and I get to watch Resident Evil. What's going to happen next? So yeah. that's just what you want from a TV show. And uh, I'll be heartbroken if there isn't the second season. But we'll we'll see. It seems to be, despite the noise, it's apparently doing quite well in the ratings on whatever ratings you can get off Netflix. Um, I mean, there's this one review, this one headline said something like, it's dethroned Stranger Things despite being really badly reviewed. And like, okay, whatever. I think it just goes back to what I was saying earlier about this, just the churning of media reportage. They just just need to chum to stir up the Snyderverse. Anyway, (laughs) shall we um, talk about spoilers now? Shall we go a bit deeper? They said the world would end in 2036. But they were wrong. The world ended a long time ago. Umbrella, a company besieged by a scandal, is now trying to reinvent itself. The old Umbrella made mistakes. The things we're working on today, they're going to change the world. We have a problem. The drug contains the T-virus. The T-virus can make monsters. Billions will die. So shall we start talking spoilers? Shall we lift the quarantine? (laughs) Yeah. I, I guess we I guess we shall. So we'll we'll focus on 2022, and uh, while the show, the first part of the show, you know, as you start the series, um, is the 2036 portion. Our first segment of 2022 introduces the Wester family, and mm-hmm. it sort of says three months before the end, 
So we have like a little bit of a of a timeline or a time frame. I also and... enjoyed. Sorry, I was watching this with subtitles, and at the start of the show, we encounter Jade, and she's listed as Jade in the subtitles. But when we first meet Billy, it says Young Billy. So I had a pretty good idea <laughs> that we'll meet grown up Billy at some point in the yeah. future version. So yes, so we have Jade and Billy, who are teenage um, twins. Jade is is sort of like bolshy and angry, kind of like teen playing up kind of stuff. Billy is the more introvert one with her own sort of anger issues. And um, she's literally listening to Billie Eilish Mm -hmm. as well as they head into New Raccoon City. So we obviously know Raccoon City was in America in the games. And this is like a new build, as you say, like a kind of... um, closed neighborhood for umbrella corporation employees Mm. and actually is filmed and set in south africa i'm really sorry if you live in all these places but you you live in the creepy place (laughs) because it's like you know everyone dreams about only their first home and stuff and you just see these these how these streets it it seems so I don't know, artificial and plastic and gross. So that's why this whole stuff got me on edge. I would be one of the little girls, little teenagers in the back being a bit miserable. Also, it's called, sorry, sorry, it's like calling your ocean liner Titanic 2, isn't it? By calling it New Raccoon City. Because I don't think, we, we but nobody knows what happened to the original, no, I was going to say nobody knows what happened to the original Raccoon City. So scratch what I said. I, the problem with writing notes on a TV show is that you sometimes write notes saying, well, that doesn't make sense. And then later <laughs> on, it totally gets answered. <laughs> so yeah, sorry. Also, if, if you if you understand there was a zombie outbreak in the original Resident Evil game, then it would seem in bad taste to call it New Raccoon City. But as far as Billy and Jade in the world is concerned, there was like a fire. It's pretty nebulous what happened to the city. It just got destroyed. Yeah, they, they sort of explain it away. There was like a big gas leak or, or something, which cause like a whole city to explode yes, which one of sounds pretty city, extensive city-wide gas leaks um but uh yeah so we have jade who's played by tamara smart who um was previously in cbbc's the worst witch oh um and we <laughs> have um billy who is played by sienna agudong who most recently i saw in f9 fast and furious 9 playing a young mia toretto so yes, that they're your typical teenage outcast moving to a new town that they don't really care about, having to sort of fit in in high school. Billy is crucially a vegan, which means she gets bullied by someone. Uh, you reminded me, vegans cause basically the apocalypse, but carry on. Well, I mean, it speaks to a character. So first off, she's wearing a shirt which says powered by plants, which I think has like a green herb on it, which I guess is a little Resident Evil nod. Oh. Um, and also makes sense because green herbs do sort of power you because they, they um, you know, restore your health. But uh, yeah, so she's um, typical vegan animal rights teenager. I'm not saying any of those issues you grow out of. I'm just saying that it's like... You're just you know, saying good, there's, a, right there's a typical vegan. There's just there's one type of vegan. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, it, good for her. She's, you know, trying to keep to herself, but then she gets bullied by a meat lover at school. And... Is he wearing a t-shirt with a steak on it? <laughs> anyway, like, well, she, hey. she's, 
she sticks a, a, a meaty burrito in Billy's face at oh one point. God, that's horrible. Um, but this all kind of comes to a head where the bully gets hit by someone who's wearing a raccoon mask because this is Raccoon City, so like the school mascot is a raccoon, um, which is effectively Jade sort of sticking up for her sister. But then there's the scene where um, the dad, Albert Wesker, gets called into the teacher's office to meet Mr. Isaacs, which I guess is a, a Resident Evil nod as well, our friend um, Dr. Isaacs, played by Ian Glenn, but sadly not reprising his role here. Um, and that I like the kind of like waiting by the phone. <laughs> this Netflix show looks pretty good, and he dials his agent. <laughs> he's not. He's he's also waiting. He's got two phones. One is the Resident Evil bat phone, and the other one is the Game of Thrones bat phone, just in case he's needed for House of Dragons or whatever it's called. Um, it's set thousands of years ago, Ian. I don't care. <laughs> Look, I can play. I can. You won't. You I can, can play a clone. Him. Yeah, I can play a clone. I can play a baby. I can play a dragon. <laughs> you saw Benedict Cumberbatch's smile. Just oh. give me ninety minutes in a mocap suit, <laughs> and I'll give you everything you need. A complete side note: I do listen to a Games of Thrones podcast, and someone was reporting from the premiere of House of Dragons, and they said how they observed Matt Smith waiting for a drink at the bar for so long that he walked off. <laughs> Why aren't you giggling like I just did? Anyway. <laughs> it's morbing time. That's what the kids are saying. That's what all the kids are saying. Um, so there's this, I think you get this idea because at this point, like, Wesker is, as you say, not the Wesker that we sort of think we know because he is being, like, a stern dad, but still, like, a dad, which is, like, maybe at odds of what we expect he is sort of also like in his new home he's got like a basement lab and he's creepily injecting himself with blood <laughs> you know um like a vampire which um turns out DIY what's needed projects to... in the basement but this is genetics not a bird house <laughs> so it turns out he kind of needs their blood to keep alive because they are sort of i guess uh, in vitro kids there's like you know yeah, you, you his sperm twins. a couple of sorry to cut eggs. you off the... <laughs> i sorry i bulldozed into like his sperm <laughs> yeah sorry explain what the what the these kids please well no i'm just i'm just sort of like setting up that they are not conventional children but you know we, we sort of like get into that a little bit later. I think we'll talk about that then, even though we're in spoiler territory. But you get I, I like this sort of confrontation with the with the dad of the bully in the principal's office. Mm-hmm. Um because he's sort of that's when you get the kind of idea that he is maybe like a threat. Because he's talking about that we're all part of this umbrella family, all of us, and he's asking the bully's dad like how many people can do your job Versus, do you know how many people can do my job? I like a good sort of like tense. Yeah, it's a he's a he, he slaps his dick on the table and he says, <laughs> not literally. <laughs> he says, but but he, again, I tweeted this screenshot. I did not expect this line to appear. Um, Wesker tells these. He's like an IT guy. He tells the bully's dad. 
you know, you're not going to be able to work in this town again if I say so. I'm going to get Pornhub to shred your resume. And I'm like, what is this show? And this is what I'm saying earlier. Like, some people probably see that line and be like, that's not a Resident Evil line. What is this show? It's just stupid. And I'm like, give me more of this, please. It's... What's more 2022 than a reference to Pornhub? I don't know, possibly being in an olive garden, complaining about breadsticks, but we'll get there. It's like, again, yet another show, we've film, we've covered with a heavy olive garden theme. Clearly we have to go to an olive garden to record our next live episode. I know, go out in the field (laughs) with our unlimited breadsticks. But anyway, yeah, this kind of culminates in... Uh, basically, to kind of make up for it, Albert decides to take Billy on a daddy-daughter day to Umbrella HQ. <laughs> to the bioweapons division. <laughs> yeah. And this is where she spots um, that rabbits are being tested on. And in order to encourage by her sister Jade, who's like, be more assertive, take a stand, they decide to break into Umbrella to free the bunnies um, using their dad's keycard. Unfortunately, in the process, not only do they discover that some incident happened in Tijuana, in Mexico, which, um, you know, plays into later on that some bad stuff is going down with Umbrella and they're trying to cover up some, you know, nasty stuff. Um, They also accidentally let out a zombie dog, which bites bites Billy and um, Jade dispatches with a fire extinguisher. But... um, yeah, too late to save Billy, who, you know, we think may be dead, but at the same time, we know she's not. She's infected, and as the series progresses, she starts having hallucinations. At one point, she kind of sees herself in the mirror. It's sort of POV, her turning into a zombie, which is also like a bit in the new Resident Evil 3 remake, which I haven't mm-hmm. actually played, but I've seen in the trailers. And so the rest of the season basically charts Jade trying to uncover what Umbrella's really up to, seeing the kind of cover-up in Tijuana, finding out what her dad is actually doing, versus Billy basically having a pretty bad time <laughs> with with being infected and, and working out what's wrong with her. And there's this sort of like ticking clock where she thinks she only has 72 hours before she dies, and they reach that point, and she's not a zombie. So clearly there's something up that's different about Billy, or is there, or is there not? Uh, yes, yeah, maybe. I, I mean, basically, I thought, oh, here we go. It's like those zombie shows where our main characters take forever to turn into a zombie, but in an action sequence, people turn into zombies in like seconds. But there again is a story reason. It's just, it's just nice to see something where people seem to think about things. But yes, there's a whole, <laughs> there's a whole reason. I mean, effectively, she seems to be immune to the T-virus, if I remember correctly. I mean, She's sort of a little bit like Alice in the Resident Evil movies in that, like, the T-virus is either bonding with her cells or rejecting her, her cells or whatever, but she's a carrier, but she's not a sort of yes. sufferer. Apart from, the, you know, like, the hallucinations and headaches and, yeah. you know, she still has symptoms, but she's not like brainless. I do get a bit confused because 
we do meet we do catch up with her in the future and she does say that she's dying but then that turns out to be a bluff there's there's actually quite a lot of stuff in the latter half of the series both in 2022 and 2036 where people say things which are not true but maybe they are true (laughs) so that's why it can be sometimes confusing but yeah long story short yeah we a lot of tension in that first half of the 2022 plot is like is she going to become a zombie um we spend a lot of time with albert wesker with daddy wesker and uh evelyn marcus who is the ceo the current ceo of umbrella in 2022 and of course i I sit up when i hear the name marcus because i believe that is the original person who created on the umbrella corporation yeah in resident evil zero you get quite a bit of backstory about um james marcus I i think is the is her father in the show I think she says grandfather at one point she's shouting to her her son is a chap called Simon who sounds like Prince Charles from the crown like not real life <laughs> Prince Charles like he's introduced he's like oh sorry I'm so sorry um he, he's Evelyn is also married to a lady I think called I was gonna write Diana Diana, Diana yeah. yeah and so at one point he goes oh, I've got two mums which means I'm really good for the ladies <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he's a bit he's a bit of a milk toast, but he's useful when it comes to technology. But at one point, Evelyn is getting really frustrated with her son and shouts, My grandfather lost this company and I've built it up. She's, okay. Yeah. Marcus. So Marcus is like a proper scenery chewing, insane supervillain type lady. I think it's a different spelling, but Evelyn is also uh, a significant name in Resident Evil 7. Okay. Um, but yeah, again, I think it's if there is a reference there, it's it's sort of just a reference rather than like an actual iteration of the character, as far as I'm concerned or aware. But, like, but here's the thing: you're describing an Easter egg with that first name. But again, what's really intriguing me about the show, I'm really enjoying about the show, is that you know, I mean, here's the thing: the whole Whisker mystery. They we say they actually say flat out, Wesker died in 2009. And then later we learn Wesker died in a volcano. This is 100% what happens in like Resident Evil 5. This mm. is like an absolute sequel. And that's why I just found it really enjoyable. And we're having this conversation now. Like when we're talking about the Alice Resident Evil films, we're really grasping at straws. And when like Leon and everyone shows up in that, what is it Resident Evil Retribution? Um you know they're sort of cosplayers but but this is definitely like you know it's using the resident evil law not really as easter egg fodder but as like a groundwork for the story we're wanting to tell and i know a lot of fans are frustrated that we're not seeing that story we 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 do get we do get an OG Wesker scene. You know what I mean? We, you know, after like nine episodes or whatever, we get a scene where Lance Reddick is in the trench coats. He's in Resident Evil 5 cosplay. He looks a little bit daft, but I th- he looks, you know, a bit like Blade. Yes. But one would say that, you know, Albert Wesker's outfit in Resident Evil 5, the video game looks like Blade. It's just yeah. like White Blade as opposed to. <laughs> You know, what we get here with Lance Reddick. And yeah, when um, that's the start of episode seven and we get that flashback 
with the clone squad because the game's Albert Wesker, i.e., you know, the Albert Wesker, you know, has made three clones of himself um, in order to sort of carry out umbrella research. Um, and he mentions Sorry, is that this in kind the of game like. Or in the, in the no, show? no, it's yeah, just in, in the, the show. show. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. they mention, but he mentions like the kind of like breastplate thing which Jill Valentine has, mm-hmm. which mind controls her. And um, it also explains why Evelyn Marcus in 2022 keeps on calling what we know as Albert Wesker Al, because he is one of various Albert Weskers. So we meet Albert Wesker, the original, and then his clones, Al, Bert, and Albie. Albie does not survive very much uh, longer after, I think, complaining about Bert leaving a shrimp curry burrito in the microwave. (laughs) Um, because Umbrella Forces storm in, chasing after the original Albert Wesker. Um, Albie gets killed in the process, and we get the Albert Wesker, Al, who is the father of Jade and Billy, um, as we see in the rest of the season. And yeah, it's at that end of episode six where we find this other clone, Bert, who is a very different version of um, Wesker. And again, that allows a lot of fun with... You know, get to see a different side of Lance Reddick yeah, and wanna, uh, and Westia. I want to part Bert for a moment. I just want to finish my point on like, I guess OG Wesker and and you know, I think a lot. I I mean, I, I understand why people might want to see more of OG Wesker, but I think like we got everything we wanted. You know, he he did a. <laughs> I, I mean, they they don't. Sh- basically with with clever editing they make him skirt across the room really quickly and take out some punks you know i just think i think what we i get don't need instead, to see more of that yeah i think what we get instead is just a lot more interesting and fun and, mm. and like i said circling back to what we are our marcus conversation and complaining about her, her grandfather you know i know she's an insane supervillain lady and maybe everything she says is to try to get things, get people to bend her will. But I, I did get a sense that this is her legacy. She's got nothing except Umbrella, you know. And so I think they gave her just enough humanity. I'm not saying it's good humanity, but I think that made her just believable enough as like a villain. Yeah, I really liked the performance, Paolo Nunes who I had not encountered before. I think mainly she's uh, she's a Mexican actress and mainly done sort of Mexican TV and, and films. But yeah, I thought she was like fantastic. And I, I think this delivers... I mean, we've talked a lot about how we like a good video game movie slash TV show villain. And, you know, this has like a few key favourites, not just with Wesker, but like with Marcus, because she's got this... She's very like elegant. She's very... Um, I don't know, one scene she's introduced doing goat yoga. Um, <laughs> Which is just with like little goats like goat on, on her, her back. back. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she's just like, the way she carries herself, she's like super composed, super slick, but also like has this like real vicious streak. But I, I, I agree. I, you know, as you say, it's about her legacy. It's, 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 it's everything umbrella is everything to her and she'll do anything to like 
she'll stop at nothing to make sure that you know her legacy is is confirmed and she changes the world um yeah i think there's a point i mean the whole the whole tension at the first half of the season is how she's desperate for this new product to go on the market a product called joy and it seems like oh this is just some evil umbrella product obviously it's got t-virus in it i don't know why you'd allow <laughs> t-virus to go within 100 miles of anything you're developing but like west was like oh there's one problem it's got t-virus in it and too much will turn you into a zombie and everyone's like well we'll just put a maximum you know a maximum amount of tablets warning on it but um later on in the show she's like Wesker is like you can't you're gonna kill like thousands of people with this and she's like you don't understand this product it like eliminates depression and suicidal tendencies and all this stuff and you know I will, I will save millions of people but of course it's that classic sort of blinkered view where I think we see Diana later who's been subjected to joy and she's completely without any will of her own it's, it's kind of deadened her and mm. so I just think she's not quite one dimensional I did like a line this isn't a billion dollar idea it's a trillion dollar idea which is it feels almost like Paul Verhoeven-ish you know like from Robocop mm. and things where it's like corporate greed to the next level prescribed in the correct dosage joy can be a miracle pill an antidepressant that lowers anxiety increases focus. But the drug contains a derivative of the T-virus, a pathogen we originally developed for the American military. That project was um, ill-fated. And while we thought we'd solved the problem, in larger doses, the viral load not only activates the T-virus, it becomes transmissible, usually through a bite. <laughs> So we just tell people not to bite each other. <laughs> it's um, not that easy. This is what happens when you overdose on joy. The subject becomes desiccated, violent. For rats, it takes a few hours. For human, three days. But the end is always the same. The T-virus makes monsters. Joy could be a billion dollar drug, but we need to delay the launch until we can stabilize it. Well, I don't see this as a problem. Wait, you say don't see that as a problem? It's an opportunity. Yes, we need to rethink Joy. That gives us a chance to make it better. I mean, as as well as like the obvious teeth, you know, uh, what's it in the Simpsons, like slight monsterism effect or, or whatever, <laughs> where Bart has like the test soft drink. Um, but it's, uh, you know, apart from that, there's also this um, element that Joy can have mind control. Um, you know, they could yes. make everyone vegan in the world if they wanted to. And they sort of show this test footage of this of this dog about to maul a cat but then this hexagon flashes up and the, mm. the dog just pays attention to that I completely and then... forgot about that part of the her plan <laughs> it's like harry it, you can bury something right in the small print and harry won't spot it he's signed up to be a, <laughs> a mind-controlled zombie well you know that it bleeds into the show because you know you see hexagons everywhere there's like hexagon signage mm. hexagon shelves she's wearing hexagon 
earrings at points. So, you know, it's it's both a design motif, but also playing into this, you know, oh, you're seeing them everywhere? Well, Umbrella's controlling you. Clearly, they didn't then subliminally program it so people give it good reviews on <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes or IMDb, but hey, you know, that's maybe too much. Um, but yeah, I really, I got a kick out of her her performance. She always um, lit mm. up the room and the real kind of tension that she has with um, Albert and the more you learn about Albert and his background, the more you realize why they're so sort of like at odds and why they're butting heads and also why, you know, the Albert Wester you know from the games would love this world control Mm -hmm. uh sort of plots and you're like well why is he being so sort of resistant about it because he's not your he's he's not your western from the games he's a different facet watching the show i'm like why why at the start i'm like why is he such a i don't want to say pussy but what no i'll say why is he bringing up legitimate concerns he would be totally for this (laughs) kind of thing um i mean i don't want to get too bogged down in the minutiae of 2022's thread because i think we need to move on to 2036 but just to highlight two aspects um episode oh i think it's the one called home movies but the one which is largely spent in 2022 is also like Mm. properly classic resident evil in that um the girls discover a note left by wesker um for a sequence of events they discover a note left by wesker leading them to like a secret bag to make an escape. So they basically accidentally, at least initially, stumble upon Wesker's escape plan. Like the note says, as quickly as you can, you just escape. But it's still like a multi-part treasure hunt (laughs) through the house, which is kind of weird. But like this, not instead of being in a mansion, we're in kind of this, uh, yeah, this quite kind of modern house but they have to find clues they have to play moonlight sonata on the piano they have to use a dog whistle to attract a dog and they they discover that the dog has a microchip inside which you use to unlock this scanner and so they have to wave wave the dog in front of the the sensor which is just Mm. delightful (laughs) um so and of course, this whole thing is being done. They have to avoid security cameras, which just means you get a lot of shots akin to the original PlayStation Resi games of like weird angles where they have to, you know, it just it gave me that Resi vibe. So that was nice. Yeah. And then, like, when they get into the dad's secret lab, that's where it really does play specifically into like the Raccoon City incident in 1998. You see video footage of. Wester or is it Wester or or whatever and Lisa Trevor mm-hmm. making an appearance you get references to William Birkin yep yeah well again we just get a little bit of Lisa I mean I, I went onto YouTube to all the scenes are on there all the like the Resident Evil scenes they're about a minute long and you know I mean just look at the fucking Star Wars shows they keep churning out on Disney plus it's just it's just there's too much Boba Fett okay <laughs> You don't need all this stuff. I, I, just, I just like these short but sweet little nods, which again feels less like Easter eggs and more just building the world. The other thing I want to talk about, which he parked, is is the wonderful Bert. <laughs> so, yeah, I never thought writing when I started the show, I'd write a note where I just written Bowfinger in capital letters, because the 
difference between Bert and Albert is sort of night and day in quite sort of delicious fashion. And Bert is is unstable, I think is the word that um, Evelyn calls him, but still a genius. So that's why he's kept in Umbrella, but has not seen basically light or day and it's just been sort of moved around and kept to, you know, sort of work on Umbrella stuff without actually having a life, whereas Albert has been sort of gifted a life and and two daughters to sort of, mm. you know, carry on with things. But as a result, Bert is is a pretty is a pretty kooky character. <laughs> That's an understatement. He's like all the kookiness. But I But I... at one point he he sort of um he gets out and basically picks up Jade and Billy from store who are like, why is dad acting so weird? And what's happened to his finger? Cause his finger has been cut off. And um, why is he so fascinated with pasta? But like when he picks them up, there's a really great moment where he, Bert doesn't know what his daughters look like. So he honks the horn at school. And then the kids approach the car, having seen him. And there's this really like awkward conversation where he's like he's avoiding the answering any single question and it's, it's just played <laughs> yeah. perfectly and yeah like Lance Reddit is just knocking out of the park playing like, multiple clones there's like scenes later on where Bert and Albert are like walking around together and like low lighting and you never ever get confused who's who um mm. but they end up in Olive Garden and I felt seen by the scene in which uh, he's chowing down on unlimited breadsticks. And then he asks the waitress, could I have an unlimited breadstick basket for my daughters? And he, she goes, no, it's just, there's one per table. And like, he just, he, his heart turns to ice and he goes, but that's a limit. And I thought, oh fuck, <laughs> that's me. That's, oh my God. <laughs> and I'm like, oh dear. I felt so bad for anyone in the service industry. I just got just, just just sometimes, you know, sometimes I'm like I'm Homer Simpson being being dragged out of the sea captain's or you can eat buffet. I'm like no. <laughs> I think if we do a which Albert Wester are you personality quiz. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> These are legit. Excuse me, more breadsticks. Looks like you still have a few left. This is my unlimited basket. They need their unlimited baskets. I'm sorry, sir. It's one per table. But that's a limit. Dad, it's no big deal. It is a big deal because it's not unlimited. As soon as you finish your basket, I can... You know what? Fine. There. Finished. You girls want one of my sticks while we wait? Yeah, of course. Everyone's a clone. They've all been aged up quickly, so they all have these health problems. Hence, um, our main Albert's need for daughter blood. <laughs> um, I mean, it is well. Just also, there's the scene when Al when Bert is like fighting, like loads of umbrella soldiers, and he's just still going. He goes back. He, well, he 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 beats someone to death on a wall. And then just turns around and does a thumbs up and a smile to his daughters <laughs> in a real like this is fine sort of yeah. face. Brilliant stuff. Um, but like Wesker or R. Wesker um, does say he is psychotic. But then in the last episode we see him, he tells the girls that Bert will look after them. And he seems like the most irresponsible person. <laughs> 
And also, like, this could be a lie on Evelyn's part, but Evelyn does say that he needs regular dialysis to keep alive. I, I guess she's going to have to... We're gonna if, if Bert survives for series two, we're going to have to imagine that she's bullshitting. But all I'm saying is that, like, I do think that the ideal scenario would be that our Albert escapes with his daughters and lets Bert blow himself up at the end, which is what he even offers to do. I don't understand that decision. I guess it's because we, we always have to feel a little bit sad at the end, you know. Yeah. Not going to turn I mean, down more Bert, but still. Yeah, th- this this thread sort of culminates in the last episode with basically a, a, a kind of family reunion. Billy bites Simon, who was helping Jade break into Umbrella to get Billy back. But that then leads Evelyn shooting her son in the eye um, because she cares more about Umbrella and the future and the the properties that the Wesker kids have. But also just crucially, okay, so when that happened, when she shoots her own son, I'm like, oh, that crosses a line. But then I remembered, like five minutes earlier in the episode, Simon had categorically said, I don't want to follow in your legacy. So... Mm. And because all she's living for is the legacy, I think that again is it, it makes it a believable, not a justified, but a believable reaction. Yeah, I kind of feel like she probably has like a clone of him somewhere too, because you know. <laughs> yeah, I could always grow another one. Cover, cover all your options, um, but yes, it culminates in New Raccoon City's Umbrella HQ. Um, it's bloating. Evelyn sort of surviving, being pulled out amongst the wreckage. A tyrant which was established earlier on its arm sort of bursting out uh, the ground sort of carry style and Bert taking Jade and Billy to um, places unknown, but possibly Tokyo because their dad has given them a little note to say, find this woman and it's Ada Wong's address. I know. So how the fuck am I going to get to Tokyo? (laughs) (laughs) I'm assuming 2022 outside new raccoon city is pretty much the same as our world now but for the fact that raccoon city was a place which was then destroyed it's a bit unclear because at the start of the future section 2036 some scavengers find future jade and she's got a tattoo and it indicates she's a survivor of new raccoon city where it all went down but Mm. at the end of this series she's leaving new raccoon city so where does she get the tattoo from? Where's, you know, and did like, New Raccoon City get destroyed or just Umbrella HQ? You know, there's questions. I know. Questions. And it's, I mean, this is what I wonder. It's, I'm, I'm conflicted about the second series, actually, because I do want I do want a second series. But because there's like a 14 year gap to play in, I guess we're just leading up to where we first meet Jade in like post-apocalyptic London. <laughs> Like yeah. every, everything went apocalyptic really quickly. I mean, you know, it's just I just one thing this with the pandemic showed me is that things don't things don't go Mad Max Max quite as quickly as films depict it. So yes, there's this future. It's um it kicks off with Jade in London um on sort of the bridge looking at Parliament with Big Ben very 28 days later, although I, I feel like this feels a lot more 28 weeks later mm. um, in terms of its vibe. But 
you know, despite the fact that there's only been a 14 year gap and, you know, in the Resident Evil movies, the Paul W.S. Anderson ones, there's probably even shorter time before, you know, everything goes crazy, like apocalyptic and there's ravages and scavengers and all kinds of stuff. But I think this uh, segment does better apocalyptic world building than Sits movies did. Well, I like, think it obviously there's a benefit of the amount of time. I mean, I wanted to, when talking about the 2022 stuff, like we we spend time with Umbrella in Umbrella board meetings and things like that. And, you know, the films do that a little bit, but it's, I think it's just we get more time to play in the apocalypse here, don't we? To establish Sure, but yeah, but, you know, like across its movies, well, I guess let's go four movies because there was Resident Evil Apocalypse and then, you know, four movies, I guess, are post-apocalypse. But there was just like very little consistency in terms of, like, I didn't get any kind of sense of what the scale of the problem was or, you know, <laughs> you just kind of like, oh, the world's taken over and you see a big CG globe and like, you know, representation of the virus spreading. But like, I feel like this gives idea, even though it's like set in a in a small kind of location, we're in London, we're in sort of Calais, um, I guess sort of France. We well, call it the Umbrella <laughs> Corporation. I love how we pronounce yeah. Umbrella. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's a small pocket of it, but I think we get like a, a better idea of what Umbrella is what its motivations are and what the world is like that even though there is an apocalypse, there are pockets of humanity Mm. and they've got different agendas and ideas. And it is a bit like, you know, any kind of post-apocalyptic zombie movie or TV show. I don't think there's necessarily original concepts here, but I sort of just liked how we got to see a lot of different facets of the world at this time. Yeah, I think also one thing the films really botched is that in it, it never it seems that Umbrella post apocalypse was still trying to either make profit or <laughs> um rule everyone. But the films kept stressing about how few people there actually were. In this show, the future version of Umbrella, they just want power. But there's also loads of communities to exert their power onto so i felt it made a bit more sense yeah. i mean you know <laughs> turns out billy is the ultimate boss of umbrella now controlling evelyn with like a remote control um and so she seems to be burning loads of resources just to say goodbye to jade though i think actually this is where i'm getting all tongue-tied a little bit <laughs> She's actually pursuing Jade to get to... Everyone's trying to get to somewhere called the University, which is like mm. a floating last bastion of scientists. But there's also lots of art and culture as well. It's where Jade has, um, has a husband... Is it a husband or a boyfriend? She's got a significant other and a genuine biological daughter, but we don't find out who the father is. Um could possibly be that the daughter is another clone type thing i think it's established that because jade and billy have special wesker properties Mm -hmm. um that her jade's daughter b also has some properties like she's a little genius like she Mm -hmm. does like a very beautiful 
quote unquote uh, performance of um, on the piano and the sort of piano Why recital, etc. Quote unquote, it was a well, good performance. I, I'm sure, I'm sure it is, but I, you know, I, I, I don't think she was. I don't think she was. I don't think the you know the actress was playing every single note. Um, at the back of the cl- of the school hall during a recital. Boo, boo. <laughs> are you saying are you saying B or are you saying boo? Boo. I was no, no, saying I, B. at that recital scene at the university though. There's this wonderful speech by like the drama teacher talking about the importance of art and culture and, and like love and life. In these dark times, and then you're at the back going boo, boo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> why not? Um, but yes, it's it's sort of established that she may, with the appearance of a giant alligator, that she may have properties beyond, you know, just being really good at at playing Beethoven. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad this is actually. I can't believe I haven't mentioned these yet. The thing is, one thing none of these live-action ad- adaptations of Resident Evil have done is like giant fucking monster animals. And like, <laughs> I know, like we had some flying bat things in the Resident Evil movies, but my heart sang like when we saw like a giant spider in the tunnels mm. there's um i mean actually so let's just go back a bit right so the, literally the first scene is a giant what is it caterpillar type creature i think it's a boss from resi 3 isn't it yeah um and you do get another giant worm thing in code veronica as well um mm-hmm. so yeah it's nice to see a big giant worm basically jade's doing research in london she's basically trying to find out whether the virus has evolved and whether you know, if there is the virus evolving and the zeros, as as they are called, have adapted or can communicate with each other or something, there's possibly ways they could go about, if not a kind of cure, but a way of like, you know, controlling um, the zeros. Um, and her tests kind of like fucks up because she actually accidentally grazes herself on a nail and they smell the blood because they're guided by smell rather than sound mm-hmm. specifically or sight. Um, and she has to basically just obliterate all her research in one kind of flamethrower, melty zombie session. But that disturbs the ground, and a giant worm appears. And yeah, it's nice to see like a big giant it worm. Looks good. It's a good worm. It's a happy worm. <laughs> and then, like as I said later on, like we see giant spiders, and you know they, she doesn't have a giant toilet roll to get her out of the sink. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, a giant glass and a giant beer coaster. <laughs> um, and of course, will you end... combine glass and beer coaster? <laughs> <laughs> and like, this is what I'm talking about. So this, this the guy who makes the show. He's like a fan because he's obviously been missing this stuff too. And the audacity for to have for the show to feature like a boat and then dragging behind it is a ginormous, like anaesthetized mutant crocodile who i think jade has programmed its brain to be a, a basically a guard dog or something basically <laughs> to, at the end i wrote here in my notes like she eventually meets up with billy billy gives some sort of ultimatum and and jade's response to the ultimatum is is pressing the giant croc button and and 
seeking the crocodile at umbrella <laughs> and like that's a, that's what's called a baller move when you're <laughs> killing your sister with a giant mutant croc but it's very like uh i i have an army and we have a hulk slash giant crocodile yeah but I, I, I just really felt I was missing that stuff. As I'm playing these games, I remember thinking, what is going to be, you know, what is the next game and what is going to be the giant moth or giant <laughs> snake? What is what is it going to be? Yeah, I mean, we we get the giant spiders in the... Because basically, uh, Jade has to get to France. So there's like this kind of immigrant or slash reverse immigrant narrative um which is very sort of children of men as well in terms of like when she gets to dover and and stuff it kind of feels mm-hmm. like that and she sort of buys slash blads her way onto a sort of underground railroad as it were to go through the channel tunnel well no, i was just gonna say i was so excited when i thought they're in dover are we gonna go are we gonna be zombies in the channel tunnel it's like even better it's liquor yes. isn't it yeah, and so we've we've seen liquors in various different iterations in the film, and I think the liquors here were great. You yeah. know, you get a whole they're, bunch they're of French very aliens doing French kisses on everyone. Ugh. Worst kind of liquors. <laughs> um, so that sequence is is really cool and gross and fun. But yeah, when you get the giant spider appear, it's like okay, this is like classic Resident Evil. Moi. Classic Resi, <laughs> and. Um... I mean, here, we've not merely mentioned him, but in the first half of the show, I guess they just don't want to have Billy there right from the off. They have like a subordinate called Baxter, who mm. I really enjoyed. <laughs> he's, he I falls, loved Baxter. Oh, good. Because I thought that, hmm, was like, oh, God, this guy. I mean, he falls squarely in the category of like rotund motor mouth psychic type guy but firstly i don't think his weight is ever really mentioned as a comedy point and b in like episode four there's like a prison escape and also episode four features things like things which maybe smile like the generators are powered by zombies on a crank who are led round and round and round by like the mother zero the head zero who shrieks to get them moving and that's where Jay discovers, oh yes, it's evolving. That, that I'm going to take that lady's head, <laughs> as, <laughs> as, as you do. But um, you know, Baxter does all the quips. He's a he's a shit. He's kind of like filthy mouthed. But then he has this like epic action sequence where he's very handy with multiple guns. And again, like I like being surprised in the show. I think she's controlling them. So? So, that's, that's organization. That's it's a higher brain function. The, the virus is evolving. Fucking knew it. Good for you. For me, I'm not looking to be fed to evil grandpa. Time to go. Fun fact. These cult freaks aren't so into maintaining their hardware. Just call me the master of unlocking. <laughs> this is like... Easiest prison I've ever broken out of. You were in. What did you do? <laughs> what didn't I do? Yeah, I, I, I think like up until that point, like he is incredibly crude. He's incredibly 
sort of violent and ruthless and he's just in pursuit of jade and taking no prisoners as he does and one of those people who gets like glee out of you know seeing people die or like shooting people in the face just because he can um so he's meant to be like an obnoxious character but there's just something just like so i wouldn't say lovable but just like i just like seeing villains who are just having taking a lot of pleasure in their work if that's uh, if that's what you say and like you get little hints like when he's first introduced coming out of a helicopter he's walking down this these stairs and he just like slips up yeah and his big but he just keeps going and everyone like he doesn't really have too many like sassy quips he just says like cool and then just like shoot someone in the face because you know they're answering back to him and stuff like i just really i, I admired his approach I mean, it's down to the performance as well, isn't it? I mean, it's uh, an Irish actor called Turlo Convery. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's just a heck of a lot of fun. And I was genuinely saddened to see him go because they kind of... He's on the pursuit of Jade, but in the prison, Jade and Baxter... I wouldn't say join forces, but they have a common goal, which is to escape the prison. And I was really looking forward to like maybe a few episodes of them antagonizing each other and like trying to get out of france but um yeah you know, he, he eventually does die yeah but he does have you know as they break out of prison he does declare himself to be the master of unlocking which um, is a nice little quip sorry one of the guns he has is like the red nine from resi 4 um that this whole episode stars a chainsaw wielding guy with a bag on his head i loved how like He's French as well, so when he asks like another victim, he goes encore. <laughs> um, so as a big Resi Four fan, I had a lot of fun with Episode Four. Um, and yeah, I never thought I'd watch um, a big zombie shootout sequence in Resident Evil uh, to the tune of Jamiroquai, but <laughs> here we are. But you know, that, I think it underlines how it's we're here to have fun. We're here to have fun. We're here to have um, fun. But yeah, the the rest of the kind of future set stuff, yeah, largely does take place at this um this university boat, um where Jade is doing the research, as you say, pits up this zombie head to examine how zombies control themselves and um develops this kind of pheromone which either can attract zombies to you or dispel zombies or protect you from zombies um in that respect which isn't quite <laughs> seems to do it it's, it's like that black goo from prometheus it does a lot of things well look the red stuff does one thing and the yellow stuff does another so you just have to make sure you spray yourself with the right thing it's a bit like the first aid spray i admire i liked how there was a spray <laughs> element it wasn't curing you but it was either protecting you or mm-hmm. making you a target so yeah. I mean, there's there's a moment where she's confronting Billy in a tent and she breaks this pheromone stuff and then like a massive amount of zombies appear over the hill. And it's like, were those zombies just waiting over the hill? <laughs> or does this magic pheromone teleport zombies to your location? It seems like the latter. Oh no, it's spawned the enemies. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing though, like... Some of the online criticism I've seen about the show is how the characters are stupid. Now, the thing is, in horror, I don't... I I actually don't give a shit about that criticism. People do stupid things. I never... You know, it's the whole running upstairs thing. I mean, it's fun to point point it out, like you're 
um, Jamie Kennedy and Scream, but like whatever. However, when Jade arrives on this boat and she she shows this zombie head to everyone, she says, I'm going to use the zombie head to conduct some research. It might be the cure or it might solve a lot of our problems. And everyone's like, yeah, cool, cool. And then for some reason, Jade decides to go out on her own in the middle of the night to like pick up a zombie from like a shipwreck and she brings the zombie back and straps it up and does some tests but then the zombie escapes and then the zombie like kills a pregnant woman like one of her friends as well like her daughter's friends and like I was just trying to work out why does she I mean usually in this sort of a film someone will say I want to do this experiment and then people will say no and so she says, well, I'm going to do it secretly then. But she just flat out does it herself. And she literally kills people because of it. It's That yeah. really got on my tits. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, think, I think it was a bad idea. <laughs> I think it was a bad choice. I think it, it speaks to her character. I don't think it's yes. out of place of her character. So it's a stupid thing. But she's very much like a person who will stop at nothing in order to do her research goals. She has to be told mm. repeatedly by her husband, look, I know you're doing dangerous stuff, but you've got a daughter, you've got people who care about you. Just, you know, relax and stop. You don't have to be the one to save the world. She personally feels like she has to be to sort of pay for the mistakes that her dad and Umbrella did because she feels guilty and responsible. So I see exactly why she does all the things she does despite, you know, and resulting in all that kind of collateral damage. Um, so she carries this heavy burden. I think Billy later on, like, lampshades this all and says it has to be the Jade show. You have to do everything. So, yeah, I kind of get that. I still think it was pretty bizarre how... She just, yeah, I don't know. I guess I can let it slide. It just it seems was, bizarre. That it, was, it just seemed like a very stupid thing to do. Yeah, it was uh, traumatic though. When that zombie like kills oh, yeah. her colleague, I was like, dude. The, the way it was shot as well, like a zombie tearing down the corridor towards the little girl Bay. And in fact, it reminded me, like in the last episode, there's a scene when like the ginormous crocodile is tearing towards B. And I thought, for a moment, and this is what makes a good show, I believed it might end with the, with the crocodile eating a young girl and then credits. Um, well, no, it turns to camera and lets out a little belch and then <laughs> <laughs> it does the that's all folks sort of, you know, yeah. and that's it. But it doesn't end that way. Um I mean, yes, there's, there's, there's fairly tropey television stuff right at the end, like Billy shoots jade in the stomach and it very much looks like she's billy's coming to do the final kill but then we cut to one i guess the past and then when we we get back billy's back on a helicopter and flying away so with 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 bay so whatever sequel bay whatever yeah and and i think like it it was interesting because i think you teased it right at the start of this episode how having recently covered arcane and just how much it is like Billy is sided with Umbrella, Jade is anti-Umbrella, and it's, you know, the kind of Vi and Jinx antagonism 
It's just like mm. our oh, sisters. You just you know can't sort out their issues. It's not yeah, like not us brothers. brothers. Like, yeah, yeah. They should just start a podcast and air out all their grievances. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> uh, via talking about. about video game movies and TV shows instead. But usually we're in agreement. There aren't too many things we've covered where we've, you know, been at odds with each other. Maybe the Monster Hunter movie. <laughs> yeah, I d- well, I hope that means this isn't a complete waste of time listening to us. <laughs> um, <laughs> Two people agreeing with each other for 90 minutes. Yeah. Fine. Fine. You got me. Here I am. Just let everyone else go. You think this is all about you? Wow. Narcissist. <laughs> no, I want everything. Every artifact, every painting, all of it. The university's made it their mission to preserve the past, and that is a problem. Bad things happened in the past. You know you were there. You don't have to do this, Billy. Do you like your memories, Jade? Because I don't. That is why I'm building a better future, making the world a better place. You hear yourself? I mean, you even sound like her. Who's controlling who? I think this film, I feel, I say film, a TV show, I kind of want to defend it, you know? I think people are just being really mean. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying it's the best thing ever, okay? And, you know, there's a wider argument where, I I, I mean, we like to analyze what things are as opposed to what they're not but in some ways this that can feel a bit like a cheat you could say you know you could just say well why can't it be like the ultimate resident evil adaptation i mean i think it's like like adapting a book you know the the games exist you know and they're also kind of inherently cinematic. So there's also there's sort of not much to be gained from doing an exact like for like. And, you know, they did do it with Welcome to Raccoon City last year. Um, whether it's a success or not is up to your, your own opinion, I suppose. But um, I think I just, as I've always said, I'd like being surprised. This is something different. I was very happy to find it is very much in the universe. So... You know, I think that's enough for me, and so I get I get all the Resident Evil kind of goodness and and so some of the imagery and things like that and and themes. If, if the t- I want to say tone, I think it's got that goofy tone as well. I mean, it's just got that, but it's got an entirely new set of characters, and and I enjoyed it. What can I say? Yeah, I I I broadly agree. Um, I think it's definitely fun. It's definitely worth watching, even if you have like an inkling. And I think you know, give it maybe a few episodes, at least get to the sort of the tunnel stuff, and then sort of see if it's chiming with you at that point. Um, a slight down point is just how teen high school stuff does sort of override it, and there's a lot of waiting characters to sort of catch up on stuff you already know. Um, and seeing them, you know, find out about the truth about Raccoon City or, sure. you know, uncovering that umbrella is, you know, doing spooky stuff. And I get I get that stuff's in there for people who've not encountered Resident Evil and just want to watch like a horror thing on Netflix, which has just appeared on their, um, you know, to watch list. But yeah, I had a fun time with it. I don't know if I actually need more. Um, no. I, in a I... way, it's it's there's still like stuff hanging 
you know, there's threads hanging, but if this is all we get, I had a I had a fine enough time and I can kind of be like, yeah, I can see how this will play out from, you know, this point. Well, I think that just that's you presuming you know better than the writers because I mean I I had that same thought as well. I mean, m- all I can come up with is in the future, Jade is just chasing a helicopter. <laughs> and, and in the past, or in 2022, it ends with young Billy and Jade and Bert driving out of the city. And I'm like, well, I have no idea where the plot's going to go. But, you know, hopefully the, the writers do have an idea and can make it as interesting, in my opinion, as I found this season. I've read like an interview with the showrunner Andrew Dabb and it was talking a little bit about where things may go and they've plotted out five potential seasons as they do and how they would like to incorporate elements from the games still, but obviously in the, you know, context of this timeline that they've, um, you know, picked up. So yeah, who knows? I, I, it could go either way. Okay, well, you know, as I said, a pleasant surprise. The best kind of discoveries in games and film is something we had low expectations for, but I had a good old time with it. But in the meantime, how could people keep in touch with games on film? You can visit our website, gamesonfilm.witsite.com slash podcast. And uh, from there, you can find more information about video game movies, background to the podcast as well as ways you can support the show. You can keep up to date with the latest video game, movie, and TV show news on our social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, mostly active on Twitter, but at Games and Film Pod is where you can find all the latest goss. You can also contact us, gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com, and all episodes of the show are available wherever you get your podcasts, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, etc. So please do like, rate, review, share, and subscribe. I myself on Twitter at Rory Steele. I'm at Only Man Who Can. And the music for Games on Film was composed by David Lightfoot. We're saying goodbye to New Raccoon City. Oh, I've just had an idea for the sequel. They should go to New New Raccoon City. <laughs> And then in the third season, new, new, new Raccoon City just keeps going. Um, yeah, we'll see what the future holds for the Resident Evil show and franchise as a whole. But thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. <laughs> I've been Harry. <laughs> I've been Rory. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.